Okay, welcome to part two of Cardinal Presentations, and the topic is dyspnea. And in the last podcast, you got a laundry list of diagnost- uh, diagnostic possibilities for dyspnea, a little bit of hints on what to do with regard to history. I'm going to pass it off to Mike and Karima, who are going to take off where they left off. All right, so now, Mike, I'm going to ask you questions. So let's talk about some signs. Like, what do you look for when you're evaluating um, a patient with dyspnea? After I've seen a patient, asked all the right questions, and started to formulate a differential, then the next step is to do an exam. Uh, We obviously start with vital signs. Vital signs are vital. Exactly. Uh, So starting with tachypnea, uh, looking at the respiratory rate, if they are tachypneic, I'm obviously thinking asthma, versus COPD, versus pneumonia, versus a pneumothorax even. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have a slow respiratory rate, if they have hypopnea, it could be from a drug or a toxin ingestion, uh, or it could be from uh, an intracranial insult. Um, certainly fever as a vital sign, right? If they have a fever, I'm thinking uh, infection such as pneumonia. And then if they're tachycardic, I'm thinking maybe a PE, maybe asthma or COPD again. And... Uh, if their blood pressure is down, if they have hypotension, I'm thinking attention pneumothorax. So pretty much every vital sign matters, right? Whether they're breathing fast or slow, whether they have fever or not, whether they're tachycardic, or um, even blood pressure, that matters. Absolutely. After vital signs is general appearance. If someone is incredibly cachectic, I might think of AIDS or cancer or tuberculosis. If they are obese, maybe they have obstructive sleep apnea or um, even PE uh, from uh, uh, seen in obesity. They might be pregnant, and again, I I could be thinking PE, uh, barrel-chested, COPD. If they're in the sniffing position, um, sitting forward with their chin out, um, that goes along with epiglottitis, tripoding, seen in COPD, and then again, trauma. As I mentioned before, hopefully it's uh, obvious uh, that they are yeah, uh, a victim <laughs> of trauma, but sometimes it's, sometimes they're not. Um, sometimes uh, we really need to ask the question, but we're certainly thinking rib fracture, uh, maybe a pneumothorax, flail chest, and uh, pulmonary contusion. All right. So besides vital signs, it's really important to pay attention to the general um, appearance of the patient, and um, it can give you a lot of clues right away, such as trauma, for example. And um, yeah, and it also can clue you in um, into a lot of emergencies, such as sniffing position or tripoding. Absolutely, you walk into the room and what do you see, and that um, can help uh, narrow down the differential right away. Great. So, what else are you going to look for? So, interestingly, um, we can even look at skin and nails uh, to help figure out the uh, the differential. So, you can look for tobacco stains or even uh, like an odor from the person, if you see like large amount of tobacco stains, maybe this is like COPD exactly. or cancer. Certainly smoking a lot of uh, uh, tobacco products can uh, put someone at higher risk for pneumonia. We can also look for clubbing, uh, which would suggest chronic hypoxia. Yeah, that's a big one. Pale skin and, and looking at their conjunctiva uh, goes along with anemia. Muscle wasting. Uh, can go uh, with a neuromuscular disease. We can look for bruising, uh, and that would suggest that there might be an underlying thrombocytopenia or maybe that they're just on anticoagulants. Right. 
Uh, on exam, we can also feel for uh, subcutaneous emphysema, uh, suggesting a rib fracture with a pneumothorax. The skin can have uh, uh, hives or a rash, and that can suggest an allergic reaction or infection. Now, that's a very important point that you're making, that even like looking at skin um, and nails, they can give you a lot of information about dyspnea. So next, looking at the neck, if they have any inspiratory strider, uh, would suggest an upper respiratory compromise. We are looking for um, jugular venous distension to suggest yeah. a tension pneumothorax, CHF uh, exacerbation, COPD exacerbation, and, uh, and a PE. Uh, after the neck, we move on to the lung exam, well, yeah, that's... most obvious for dyspnea. <laughs> uh, we're, of course, listening for any abnormal breath sounds, wheezing, rails, um, ronchi, of course. But uh, certainly we're looking for whether there's a laterality. It's uh, one-sided or, or, or bilateral symptoms. Um, we're looking for hemoptysis and uh, sputum production. We're also feeling for a friction rub. So what about chest exam? Well, we, you know, we start with feeling, uh, feeling for crepitus or pain on palpation. Uh, also uh, uh, examining for subcutaneous emphysema, as I mentioned before. Um, there can be, um, in uh, pretty rare uh, circumstances, there could be a diaphragmatic rupture, in which case there could be a thoracoabdominal uh, dyssynchrony. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, uh, a flail chest. So that's feeling for the chest, uh, which is, uh, of course, separate from the cardiac exam. And on cardiac exam, it's the typical listen for uh, heart sounds uh, as well as a murmur, uh, whether there's an S1 accentuation or an S3 or S4, which can certainly be difficult to, to pick up in the emergency department. But when they're there, it can uh, suggest a, a PE. If someone has a tamponade, uh, you might uh, uh, be able to appreciate muffled heart sounds. So what about extremities? Like that can be very important in picking up causes of dyspnea. Right. So the obvious calf tenderness or yeah. home sign uh, would suggest a, a blood clot or um, in the setting of dyspnea uh, could suggest pulmonary embolism. Absolutely. And then pitting edema uh, goes along with a cardiac congestive heart failure. We talk about the neuro exam. Um, hmm, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. If there are any focal deficits, such as uh, in the case of a stroke, uh, there could be diffuse weakness from electrolyte abnormalities and anemia. And then any ascending weakness, uh, such as Guillain-Barre, uh, all can uh, lead to dyspnea. You know, sort of to recap, physical exam is of extreme importance, and it's really important to... Um, uh, remember that it's not just lungs you listen to and the heart you listen to and the chest you palpate to. Pretty much everything in the exam matters and can give you a lot of clues to pick up the causes of dyspnea. So now that we've done an exam and we are really trying yeah. to narrow our differential, we can you know, as appropriate, we order um, studies. We start off with our bedside blood gas, can help figure out the degree of hypoxia. Uh, also helps us get a partial pressure of uh, uh, CO2, help further uh, dictate the, the management as appropriate, whether you can uh, just use BiPAP or whether the patient needs to be intubated, uh, et cetera. Absolutely, yeah. Um, might need an uh, electrocardiogram if we're considering cardiac uh, disease. Sometimes even using a bedside ultrasound is useful to check for pulmonary edema or pneumothorax. 
or even uh, a DVT. And then, of course, there's the standard uh, or, or typical blood tests, such as the serum electrolytes and uh, a CBC. Um, so with electrolytes, we can look for uh, metabolic acidosis, sodium potassium abnormalities, renal problems. Uh, with our CBC, we can uh, help clinch the diagnosis of severe anemia or thrombocytopenia. We, of course, can get cardiac markers and uh, a D-dimer, BNP, B-type natriuretic peptide. Yeah, it's still very useful. Still useful. Yeah. Uh, can help uh, figure out whether it's uh, CHF uh, as uh, the cause or, um, or maybe there's an, uh, a different uh, underlying cause of, of the dyspnea. And then... In addition to all the blood work, there's all the imaging. So uh, starting with a chest X-ray, but all the way up to uh, chest CT, CT angiogram. Uh, and then uh, if we're considering a clot on the differential, then maybe an ultrasound versus uh, a VQ scan as appropriate. So it seems like your choice of ancillary testing will be heavily dictated by your HNP, which you know, brings us back to how important it is to take a proper history and do a physical exam. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot of wasting of your time and resources. Right. We've talked about a lot of different causes on the differential. And of all the previously discussed causes, there are uh, some that are purely pulmonary. And then there's basically everything else. In the setting of dyspnea, let's talk about whether or not there is a pulmonary intervention that can be done uh, on these patients. Yeah, like now we're coming to the meat of it, right? Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? Just as before, we had our critical diagnoses, the emergent diagnoses, and the non-emergent. So of the critical diagnoses, there's tension pneumothorax. Absolutely. When we suspect tension pneumothorax, maybe from the HMP, maybe due to decreased breath sounds on one side, severe distress, hypotension, oxygen desaturation, uh, JVD, certainly we want to intervene right away, needle decompress, get the, get the chest tube. That's your prototypical critical. Right, right. Upper airway obstruction, we're thinking with dyspnea and strider. Uh, maybe uh, if there are no uh, sounds, we need to do a Heimlich maneuver. Uh, but if there is any obstruction, we certainly need to remove it as best as possible, maybe with direct visualization and remove the object or with an NPL, and possibly uh, operative management might be appropriate. Um, if there's pulmonary edema uh, or heart failure uh, in, in the severe setting, we need to emergently uh, intervene uh, and get the patient, start the patient on BiPAP if they can tolerate it, maybe start a nitroglycerin drip. Uh, and possibly intubate. intubate yeah. uh, in the setting of anaphylaxis, hopefully that's a pretty obvious uh, situation. We want to get epinephrine right away uh, to the patient as well as steroids uh, and consider intubation as appropriate. And then lastly of the critical diagnoses is severe bronchospasm, uh, whether it's in asthma or COPD. Start the patient on beta agonist steroids and uh, any additional ventilatory support. So hopefully BiPAP works, and then if we absolutely must, consider intubation. Intubation. So um, amongst critical diagnoses, there is not that many. 
seems like there's five that you talked about. So it's tension pneumothorax, upper airway obstruction, pulmonary edema or heart failure, and then anaphylaxis with severe airway compromise and um, severe bronchospasm and asthma. That's right. Um, and then we have the emergent, emergent. diagnoses. Uh, and these should be pretty self-explanatory, uh, asthma and COPD, pulmonary embolism, uh, not the saddle pulmonary embolism, but a like subseg- yeah, right? <laughs> just a subsegmental uh, PE that might otherwise cause symptoms but isn't uh, acutely life-threatening, a smaller spontaneous pneumothorax, and then in uh, a non-critical pneumonia, non-severe pneumonia, right. and then some neuromuscular diseases, again, Guillain-Barre, multiple sclerosis, and myasthenia gravis. Some of those can be critical, but uh, most of the time uh, they would fall under the emergent diagnoses. Right. So it seems like, you know, there's not that many things that you can think in terms of cardiopulmonary emergencies when you're approaching a dyspneic patient. Right. You know, to recap, dyspnea is a chief complaint that we have to take seriously. It's a respectable complaint. It's a pretty respectable complaint. Absolutely. And we have to evaluate the patients promptly. And we, in emergency medicine, always consider the most critical diagnoses first and take the actions uh, immediately uh, as appropriate. Remember that vital signs are vital. We look at respiratory rate and heart rate and blood pressure and pulse ox. And uh, it should be, you know, pretty obvious that if the patient is hypoxic or air hungry, if they have a low uh, uh, pulse ox, then we need to start them on oxygen, on supplemental oxygen right away. Right. Uh, as necessary, we need to assist the patient with um, non-invasive or uh, otherwise uh, invasive with uh, intubation uh, mechanical ventilatory support. Yeah, it seems like when you're approaching dyspnea, uh, you know, and considering all these critical and emergent causes, uh, it seems like it's very important to just, you know, address the issue, then move forward, address the issue, and then move forward, and kind of assess and reassess. That seems to be like a very good way to handle it. Right. Uh, as with everything in, in medicine, always reassess, always reassess. So, we start with ABCs. Yeah. We evaluate whether the patient is uh, having true respiratory distress. If not, maybe we just need to use supplemental oxygen, get a good thorough HMP, directly evaluate the, the, the situation. If they are in respiratory distress, first thing is to stabilize the patient. What intervention is needed? And then uh, move on from there. IV access, uh, put the patient on the monitor, start them on uh, oxygen, and uh, and do any appropriate intervention. All right. So it seems like that's your quintessential emergency medicine. And then um, a lot of times we don't have any information to go further, so we just like intervene, stabilize, without having all the information available. And that's very important. And that's why knowing all this critical and emergent um, differential diagnosis is extremely important. And then uh, we do what we do best, which is do our best to figure out who needs to be admitted and who can be discharged. Well, that sounds like a very good way of uh, dissecting our dyspnea chief complaint. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you.